Welcome to Immersed in Theology. This is the podcast where graduate students talk theology, church, and life. Please enjoy the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Immersed in Theology. Uh, Today we are reading the book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve by John H. Walton. And uh, this is a great book, but uh, my name is Zach. I'm in the studio with uh, Nate Harrison. Hey, hey. And Lucas Bosma. Thanks for having me, Zach. Yeah, Zach Lucas. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Luke. Old Luke. Um, so <laughs> you guys read the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Luke, you got to get a little bit closer to that mic. Yeah. Time. All right. Thanks. Here okay. I am. Perfect. Uh, so what were some initial thoughts reading uh was this kind of new have you expected this what were you expecting what were some thoughts about the book yeah i think um i've heard some of this kind of stuff before but not in the, the to the depth that walton takes it and also to the to the extent that he takes it so it was some new information some delving into stuff i've briefly touched on before um but definitely a lot of it was like okay like yeah, I kind of see where this is coming from, but I don't know what this means. Hmm. Um, so that was a lot of it. It's always kind of like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, but then what happens? Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> like, we've read books before, like even the last one. It was like, this is a ministry I've created. This is how it happens. It's very concrete. Like, mm-hmm. where this, it's, I read this book and it's it's given me perspective. Yeah. It's, it hasn't given me, given me a perspective. It's given me <laughs> perspective. Right. And yeah. so I don't know what to do with that necessarily. Yeah. 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 I would say that's similar. I mean, it's quite a profound book. Like he works through for anyone that's listening, uh, that hasn't read it. It's 21 propositions, different topics working through Genesis one and two. Um, that Walton has seen and just whatever different perspectives again, but he doesn't get into any implications of Mm -hmm. anything, which is a little difficult because you are left reading each proposition with a bit of a, so what now, what do I do with this? Or what does that imply? Even how I see God, he doesn't go there. Um, Maybe we can today in the podcast. I'm not sure. And it's difficult with some of this stuff because, you know, when you're talking about, literal non-literal genesis one and two different ways to see it it really does affect the way you read the bible i mean being the Mm -hmm. fundamentals of everything the foundation of everything the rest of the bible is built on you feel like it should carry some significant weight totally but i'm not really sure how it does right well and it's and it's what is what is the object of that weight like do you know i mean like um in terms of a lot of people look at it and go it has to be a certain way and you have to read it a certain way and it's got to come out and look a certain way mm-hmm. in order for it to be right and true and correct. And the thing that he challenges the most is like the way we may have been looking at it might be wrong and that's okay. Like it's okay that there's another way to read this right. and maybe we've gotten it wrong. Um, and he goes into the idea of inerrancy and what does that actually mean and right. what does that look like and what does that leave room for? And we can probably get into a bunch of that too, but yeah. Well, it's, it's, and that's, it gives perspective that I feel like I've been taught, you hear so many things growing up. Yeah. So just little thoughts that he has or suggestions kind of crash that whole worldview where it's just like, 
was there a historical Adam is a big thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Was there a guy named Adam? Well, 100% not because (laughs) English didn't exist there. Yeah. It's like, was there a guy named Adam? Well, no, because Hebrew didn't exist there. It's like just those little things. It's like, let's let's just think about what do you mean by this question? Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. start to, here's a couple like bombs just to stir up the way you're thinking yeah, about yeah. this thing yeah for me uh, i like stop and i was like <laughs> oh, i guess it's okay was there one guy well yeah there was one guy at some point in time because yeah. there yeah. has to be everyone agrees on that like so just little thoughts like that it's like okay it's good to read this kind of stuff and shake up your worldview think about differently yeah, yeah and obviously being like Walton is such a long-term scholar now mm. in the ancient Near East. It's mm. it's really good, I think, the way he positions your mind to see how they might have read this yeah. differently. And and we just come at every every text, um, especially from that kind of an era. We have no idea how yeah. to approach it, and that's what's so helpful about a book like this. Yeah, just to get your mind around a, a completely different way of thinking that otherwise you would have no clue looking at this right? mm-hmm. well because you're so far removed like so far well, and then as the years go on it just gets worse right because it's like yep. there's more and more presuppositional material that mm-hmm. you are just kind of embedded with that you then look back on it where it's like it's even the adam thing where it's like where he says that of like well no like there wasn't because his languages didn't even exist so it's like oh crap i didn't even think of that right it's like oh shoot what does that mean for like this having to be true, quote unquote, or like, yeah, what does that actually imply? And what does that actually mean? And how else may I be looking at this go- with a, a with the wrong lens? Yeah. Of I, like, oh, we got back to Hebrew. It's like, yeah, but Hebrew didn't exist. Right. So this is clearly already a retelling or a yeah. reinterpretation or a right. whatever of something else. Yeah. I think he says that whenever you have language, you have interpretation. Yeah. So every time right Right. so you gotta yeah and i found myself just my mind kind of flipping back into our culture and then at some points i'd be able to read and okay i'm I'm tracking i'm tracking then my mind would kind of flip back into you know i just think of like sunday school murals of adam and eve sitting there and we do that with jesus too just and i realized how much of ourselves is influenced by our culture Mm. you know even thinking about God, it's like this giant guy with a white beard. <laughs> you know, this these are thoughts that you just have because of how you grow up and the things around you. Yeah. And we were born in the Western world in the 21st century. So to have an Eastern way of thinking in ancient times is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's what I appreciate appreciate about a guy like John Walton. It's like yeah. I could so easily just pull just bridge our cultural gap by pulling a timeless truth from mm-hmm. these chapters, you know, just basic God created the world and that's great and and dilute it sort of, but to actually have a guy that cares enough to dive into it like he has done, I find that really impressive because I don't know if I'd have I don't know. I just don't know if I would be the right person to do that. So I appreciate this kind of book right? to get me there. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's there's something else that I always notice, like when you read books like this, that the anyone that's done this level of study and research and scholarly work on this stuff, they all kind of tend to end up in the same spot. 
like even as I talk to professors and stuff like that, it's like so many of them that actually go this deep into stuff like on their own end up in a similar arena, um, like in a similar position, looking at things kind of a similar way. Mm. But it's only seems to be the people that go this far with it. Right. Because the rest of us mm. stop so often mm. because we stop at presuppositions or we stop the things we were told in Sunday school or we stop at accepted truth. But then what John Walton's doing is, is challenging all of that yeah. and saying, yeah, but there's so much more here than you that you don't really realize if you just stop at the Sunday school answers or whatever. Right. Um, the other thing that I really appreciated, and this is how he sets out, I think, the whole book of this one. I'm getting them mixed up in my head a little because I read his flood one, too, mm. in the last like month. So I keep getting them mixed up. Um, but he does look at the I'm pretty sure in this book the difference or the relationship between science and the Bible. Uh, you li- yeah. A bit, right? Yeah. I think he does in this one where it's like um, science can't answer to theological matters and the Bible yeah. doesn't actually have anything to say about scientific so, matters. These are two separate worlds. And so to try and make them e- even at odds isn't even a right juxtaposition. Totally. Cause like you can't even do it because he's like, they're talking in two different realms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, it's fine. Let science be science. Um, and evaluate it on scientific terms and then look at the Bible from a literary ancient literature perspective yeah. and evaluate it. Right. That's kind of which that, is fascinating. That is the only like concrete uh, <laughs> out like <laughs> application that I got. It's like, do you believe in this? This it's like, well, what does science say? Like, I'll believe whatever the yes. best science says. That's what I'll believe. Yeah. Because that has no effect on bible and i'll keep studying bible until i have well we have the biblical um conclusions because it's these themes are don't just stop in genesis they keep going throughout the so you could pull Mm -hmm. biblical truths out of the new testament those Mm -hmm. are the same out of the old testament you know and he gives some very practical ones in the conclusion which about being evangelistic caring for this world having a ministry it's like those are things all Christians would say. Like right. that they're not hard to get to. Yeah. Um, so it's not some he's not pulling out new biblical conclusions. No. He's he's giving you a, a great framework to read Genesis and to understand what you're reading. Yeah. Yeah. And to still and that was the thing that I found somewhat interesting is that he still, even though he doesn't make all the connections all the way to the end, he's still defending orthodox christian evangelical views yeah for sure he's just reinterpreting how you get there right so even when it comes to adam and eve it's like spoiler alert but he thinks that they're real and they were like actual people yeah but da 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 da. right like yeah but there's some things he's like i still believe that this is true and there's actually these people but here's what that actually looks like right and that was the thing that i found interesting is that he's not trying to go off the reservation and go nuts and be like here's this whole new way of things and the Bible's not even true and whatever. It's like, no, no, I still hold to inerrancy and all this stuff, but it just doesn't work the way we think it is. It it did or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's jump into some things that he talks about. I think a big one that he touches on a bunch of these propositions is um, order. And the first one's in uh, proposition four, where he is talking about, um, 
God orders the cosmos as a sacred space. So this is kind of the first mm. ordering. Yeah. And order is a thing that goes on throughout a bunch of these propositions. This idea of going from chaos to order. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Throw it out there. Did anything stick out? Yeah, I that? mean, initially, um, just to review a bit, it's easy to come at the text. And we look at it from a material mindset. Everything he's that, that God's building each day, he's just creating something. Whereas uh, John explains a little bit that the original mindset would have seen it as a function more than just a physical. So, mm. so when we see the sky, um, you know, we, we think about all these stars and, and we're coming at it and we're thinking of each star is a little gassy ball that's exploded in space and all this. And he kind of works through that imagery that they would have just seen it as like pinholes in the sky and the sky is actually holding back the waters and every, everything's right. got a function. Yeah. Right. So getting into that mindset initially really, really changes the way you think about it. And then how does God actually order and, and put order into the world where each thing he creates has a purpose and, and a reason for being there. Yeah. And starting to, starting to think about that is really important. Yeah. Well, and even just what they would have been focusing on too, like, yeah, sort of precursor to talking about the idea of order, but it's like yeah. our view of material stuff um, tends to be something that developed later, like later in his, like way later in history, like relatively recently, mm -hmm. as far as the way we look at things through this sort of empirical materialistic lens of like, yeah, but like, what is it made of and where did it come from mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And it's like, he points out like you go this far back and it's like they didn't care that right. much mm -hmm. it was they were talking about something else like even in all the origin stories and stuff like that in the ancient near east it's like there was points being made right in all of those stories it wasn't to say that like you know you get into these other way crazy like a numa elish things where it's like didn't literally necessarily mean that you know um there was a god that was cut in half and literally you got heaven and earth out of these two halves of an old mm -hmm. God being slain in half. And it's like, maybe, but it's like, they're also just trying to make this point about chaos and order actually, but right. different stuff that's going on. And so to come at this one, the same way as he does, and Walton just says, it's not material stuff. They're not trying to talk about material origins. He's saying like it's function, it's order, it's chaos. Yeah. It's the themes that they would have been so familiar with already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 it. It gives you a different perspective on even thinking about things. You know, we don't often go about it. It's very, um, you know, the way that we think is exactly this thinking what is it made of, of why is it what and not why, you know, what is it and yeah. then what can I do with it, you know, right? But walking through life like that can even give great perspective. I think that goes on bigger point of just understanding other cultures. Mm -hmm. I mean, Luke, you've experienced tons of other cultures. Totally. And I think that idea about this isn't just happening in ancient world. This no, this is, happened, is here. This yeah. is happening today. This is right. you're a very much a product of your culture, not yeah. just your time. Yeah. And when you experience these other cultures, you understand, you know, these things don't matter to them. Oh yeah, and in simple form too. I mean, a lot of a lot of modern day cultures couldn't care less what something appears to look, like, you know, looks like physically. Right. Mm. It's what does this do for me? Mm. Where are we're we're hung up like I'm in the trades world. We're hung up on how our 
a hammer can look. Right. You know, like like the the way it looks, it's actually yeah. there's hammer swag out there, and like you got the, you know what I mean, and yeah, that's yeah. a thing. It's like, well, that doesn't matter. It's a tool. It's like does to it hit nails, things? yeah, or or a shovel is to dig, right? Yeah. And and we're actually hung up, like we don't realize the extent that the Western world is stuck on how everything looks, you right. know, and and we create through high fashion or whatever it is a standard for everything mm. and that like completely envelops our our whole world from mm. everything cars to pencils to whatever name it yeah you'll yeah. say i like this one i don't like this one right that's crazy that's not that's mm. not international right and even the f <laughs> i think that goes on with that is the fact that we have a superiority of that view too mm. where we have a harder time understanding different cultures because our culture is to strive for the best or right. what we perceive as the best. Right. So when we look at other ways of looking at things, I think we have a, well, we don't do it that way. Hmm. Therefore it's not as good. Right. Like we are doing it this yeah. way because it's the best. We actually spend our time functioning through life because we think this is the best way of doing it. Hmm. And we're, well, we wouldn't be do, thinking about that thing that way unless it was the best. Yeah. And then other cultures, I think there's a way of just saying, you know, even looking at more of a community culture, like we do what's best for the group and we, I, I'll do what's good for you. We move together and it's actually more about us. And, you know, I'm sure that's in, in Uganda, which was the mm. re most recent place. Mm -hmm. I'm just doing a little study because I'm hoping I think I'm going there in November. Right. So, you know, their way, the way they do religion is like it's very cultural. Like their timing is like if you're late, it doesn't matter. Right. Because it's you were doing something, you know, we're just yeah. it's mm. not about efficiency or so. Hmm. It's about like purpose. Right. Yeah. What were you filling else? that time with? What right. were you doing? It. I'm sure it was something good. Well, it's like not even having that. a mindset of like yeah. crazy you're late. Yeah. Like, it's no, you're just living. Right. Yeah. Right. I. It's hard for me to like get there because I <laughs> feel like I'm so engulfed. But that's what that this and the book is like. Try to just think differently right. for a second. Absolutely. So yeah. so what God's done is pulled from nothing. He separated in creating order. And each thing then has a role and it's got a reason and a purpose, right? Which, yeah, I don't know. I just wonder like what the, what the implications, even if we're made in God's image and we hold that, then how do we pull that into our lives? Like, right. like, how are we seeing, how are we using our resources and stuff for the best purpose and for the best, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And let's talk about that for a second is because we talked about how this book, it gives us. Um, perspective but what does that mean yeah. well if we try to take that mindset we think about god created the world he created order then what implication does that have on our life if we know that that be true I, what are some things that we could actually apply today to actually walk in that truth more mm -hmm. right uh well i think okay i think even before we get that to that we have to hit where we were kind of going with the idea of like chaos and order yeah, yeah. and just look at that yeah. because 
uh, that's going to build the foundation for, I think where your next, where that question goes Yeah. of like, okay, so what did God do? Right. Um, and in Walton's view, even looking at Genesis one, it's like, yes, God created ex nihilo where it's like out of nothing, he right. created something. Uh, but then what is the creation account of Genesis one really saying? And that's where this order and chaos thing, where it's like the, the world was chaos. There was no form. There was, it was just, this is chaos, weirdness all over the earth. And then God comes in and separates things. He creates boundaries. He creates order. Mm. And he, I think even goes to the extent where it's like, that's what he means by it's good is that it now has function, it has purpose and it has order. Right. Uh, but then he brings that to humanity. And then that's where you get into this idea of function. Yeah. Um, he's, you can get into all this sacred space stuff or whatever, but to get into the function thing, yeah. he gave everything a position um, and everything a role and a function. Um, even when you look at like the, the six or seven days of creation where it's like he created a space and then he created something to go in that space with a certain mm -hmm. function. Mm -hmm. So it's like light. It's like, well, he didn't create the sun first, actually. He created the sun later. But it was like this ordering thing. Yeah, right. Um, but then it comes into humanity. And then what it, what actually happens there. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you get him giving humanity a function. And I don't remember what exactly he says. Something about priesthood and ordering and things like that. But um, that's where you see Adam naming all the beasts and all the animals. Um, it's because God is like bringing him into this ordering process mm. that was the part that like stuck out for me a lot right um was that idea of like okay humanity got brought into the ordering process mm. which to is fascinating you on this work of bringing order yes and that's yeah that's the mm -hmm. the crazy thing and i think that's where then it goes to what we were getting right. at zach it's like okay so what were we created for what does image of god mean yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff i don't know but yeah yeah, and it, and no, no, and it does carry very far. Like, if you carry the thought that that man was made then to continually define these lines and place color in the lines properly in God's, you know, will and as God would, then that's our role today. So how do we mm -hmm. see the, you know, our individual but also collective as a church when we're fighting culture and when we're fighting sin and darkness on a on a grander scale on a private scale any of this if we're really just trying to bring back the order of god it, mm. it sort of changes our perspective doesn't mm -hmm. it like we're redrawing the world as we know it and that's yeah. where i think it's so important to start to address if we do have a mindset that's all material and not functional maybe that's wrong and mm. maybe our minds aren't even in the right place yet to see the proper order of god if yep. that makes sense right yep. so how do you first define that and how do you I don't know, but yeah, hmm. I don't know if it needs to be as radical because I think hmm. the truth of order is what we desire. Like we've done right. that even thinking about hmm. like this house, like it's like, I'm going to take things, rocks, wood, and like 
build a house mm -hmm. it's like well now they'll live in that house and they'll be on a street with other houses and we'll drive roads like we're all like driving like we're all gonna just drive on these parts of the world yeah yeah and not on these parts of the world yeah it's yeah, like yeah. that's pretty crazy that it we all just all agree yeah on that. you establish rules right and that's better yeah yeah and that's like that's order and that's and sometimes you crash, and then there's chaos, and there's fighting even among yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's try to reestablish order. It's like, I'll, yeah, I'll give it. you that money, yeah. and I'll say sorry. It's like, okay, this is better. Yeah. So, yeah, it's complicated. Right. Yeah. But I think hmm. at the same time, it's built in us, because yeah. you just have to stop and look. Yeah. And even the government's not Christian, the, like these aren't christian idea well these aren't professing christians that have been part of this ordering but yet our society has got there yeah yes and because yeah. it's built in us well that's yeah. yeah then you're into image of god right which is one of his points right where it's like a huge i think it's his, one of his main points is that the idea of the image of god um because people bring it to like well we have reason or we have a relationship with god and that's all part of our image and it's like yes aspects but his main one is function mm -hmm. it's like functionally mm -hmm. we are an image of god because we actually help in this ordering process and we're supposed to be sort of agents of that um but then the sin was bringing disorder is that we are supposed to function under god yeah all of the time the sin was trying to be god right the which then created chaos the disordering yeah yes yeah, yeah. it was yeah it was the disordering yeah. of what god had already ordered right which and is then, i mean like eastern orthodoxy still really holds to that hmm. the image of god as a disorder it's not we yeah. we would on this on the western front we would see it more as a pollution like sin is polluting us right yeah and we got to get rid of that pollution and they see it more as no you're an image of god and you're you're distorting that image more so not polluting oh, it it's not it's not infusing mm. you you know what i mean yeah but it's actually distorting it because the world needs to see the image of god in each of us mm. to be changed which mm. is a different a different approach of the same uh topic um huh. interesting what what <laughs> i yeah what i really liked um john or what walton said was with all of this order and stuff is that God's actually building a house Yeah. or sorry, God's not just building a house. It's not that, but he's building a home mm. then. And that's the same way that we see our lives and, and should see our lives is how are we actually building a home that, you know, encompasses all that that means and how, like what we're supposed to be living in right properly. I don't, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a huge topic. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's great. I'm going, I don't know, if, uh, one, the serpent who, in the garden. Mm. Uh, he's a chaos creature is what Walton describes him off. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on, on that as continuing our chaos conversation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, I, I've heard a lot of that kind of stuff before about the idea of the serpent and it's like okay so where did he come from and why was he a serpent and what is that idea um and i think i've heard some of this idea of a chaos creature sort of thing because serpents were pretty common in ancient near eastern literature mm -hmm. they but they often had like wings and four legs right. as well so it's like 
this sort of mythical kind of creature. Maybe not necessarily the serpent in the way that we think of them all the time or the way that we think of them. Um, but yeah, that idea that's this chaos creature, it's a symbol of chaos. Right. Um, it makes sense. And it makes sense when you put it through the lens of what Walton says of there's other symbols in the garden. Right. The trees and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It's like there's tons of symbolism. doesn't mean that they weren't real things. It just means they're also these big symbols for other right. stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. Um, yeah, because you also get questions of where did that snake come from and how did – well, if you go that direction of how did the opposer, the accuser, the satan or whatever actually – how is he a part of that snake right if everything was good mm-hmm. and like you get into all these weird questions then of what was going on there yeah yeah and ultimately again on on on, <laughs> on uh the train of thought it's sort of like it's not really it's it's a little bit insignificant to care about the snake mm. as a thing it's what's the intention of that being um, you know, I'm not gonna, I can't give you an answer of why it was there, how it got there, mm-hmm. any of that stuff. I don't know. And I don't think that's the point necessarily. Otherwise it might be more clearly stated, but what we do know is the intention of the snake was to bring disorder. Right. And I don't like, you know, I don't even know where to go from there really in my mind. Like, what does that mean? Or what does that imply for me? I'm not sure. All, all you can say is that there was deception suddenly and that was not of God and God didn't want it there. Right. Yeah. Does it like, as you guys read this, does it change anything for you or is it weird for you to look at it and go, Oh, the snake wasn't what's like he was real, but it's like, in what way was he real? But like Mm -hmm. to kind of have that stuff questioned and challenged, does that like, are we okay with that? I think it really matter. Yeah. I'm definitely okay with, any way of thinking about it because I go back up the biggest like answer for me is a filter I always use is what I know because I can only experience what I see Mm -hmm. and I know and the biggest thing is people that's what we're around so going back to kind of what I said before it's like I everyone nobody's perfect so Mm -hmm. we all have sinned and fall short to the glory of god there's no one person that's like oh you're perfect but you still have inherent sin Mm -hmm. so what is you know original sin and what is sin that you've actually done Mm -hmm. i don't know right do have both yeah from what i can observe on everyone that i've observed including myself right i see both so I'm like to take it to extreme completely metaphoric. It's like, that's fine. Like it, it, the reality in which it happens is work completely literal. Great. That's also Hmm. work. So I'm just saying the effect doesn't change of, of what it is and the implication it has. No, totally. Hmm. Um, so in that sense, it's fine, but in, in, and I don't think you should stop there. I think you should actually go deeper and, and figure it out. But to answer your question, in that sense, it's it's fine. Mm. Like it it shouldn't have any 
existential crisis on your life wherever you get. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you should have a little bit of a faith crisis. If you're not having a faith crisis, you're not studying the Bible. That's what I always say. It's <laughs> probably true, actually. Okay. Every first year Bible college student knows that. It's like, what? Yeah. yeah. What? <laughs> it wasn't an apple? What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do we want to talk about Adam and Eve a little bit? Um, because, I mean, that's a big part of it. And mm-hmm. these people, um, we can get into a little bit of, okay, who were Adam and Eve? Who were Adam Eve and in Genesis one, who were at in, in Eve in Genesis two, mm-hmm. uh, right? You know, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe someone summarize some ideas that Walton kind of threw out there. Yeah, I mean, from what I can understand, he's he's his point of view is that Genesis one is different than Genesis two, and oftentimes we see Genesis two as a zoomed in approach to Genesis one correct yeah. and what he's doing is separating the two and saying perhaps these are different accounts a little bit and and for a different purpose of course but these are different accounts where genesis 1 adam and eve would be a humanity as a whole the a concept that adam is kind of humanity and eve is life and so there's life and humanity together and yeah okay that's what that means and then he's he goes to Genesis two and would say now this is a story of two people, right? Um, not the same as Genesis one. Right now, what that what that looks like is up to you. Sort of, if you want to say that Genesis one means there was a ton of people made, mm. and Genesis two is zooming into just a specific family. Right. Maybe you can see it that way. Um, I'm not sure if he exactly gives his opinion on that entirely. Like right. like I see it this way completely. But um, that's the approach he takes, that these are two different accounts for two different purposes. One's big picture, one's now unique to show how sin entered the world. Right. And to show, like, it's the interesting thing is that it leaves room for a period of time, too. Yeah. Because right. he also points out is like, okay, Genesis 1 is just kind of things happened. Mm-hmm. At some point, all these things happened. God created, humanity was created, blah, blah, blah. And then sometime later, Genesis 2 happened. Where then God created, uh, or yeah, created, formed, chose, whatever, functionally, however you want to view that, um, a man and a woman and mm-hmm. did this whole thing with them and put them in this garden. And, um, uh, cause it actually says that like took Adam and placed him into the garden. Yeah. And then when he sins and the fall happens, it says that he placed him back out, out. Yeah. uh, like back out into the ground from which onto the, yeah, into the land from which he was drawn up from or whatever you want to language. And that was always the thing where it's like, Oh, he was made outside, put in, and then he was put back outside. Right. There's a weird thing happening there. Yeah. And And it it goes along the theme that, that God's created a sacred space where man can dwell with him. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And the whole narrative, the whole Bible is how do I now get man back to this sacred space so we can be in relationship with each other. Right. Right. And right. And yeah, so I guess, I don't know. I don't know where to go with that exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it, when you, you say like, uh, it fits better with the gospel, it feels like. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. When you talk about 
you know, it was a gift and this, this perfect living, it happened and then it was taken away or it was, you're pushed out of the sacred space mm-hmm. yeah. and now it's a calling to get back into it. I mean, mm-hmm. the same is true with other Genesis one and two interpretations, but yeah. it seems a little bit better. Yeah. And what's interesting is how you see it actually is God is, God is saving us constantly. It's if, if we're taken into the garden, he's saving us from this chaos or mm. whatever is outside, which is obviously not the tree of life, which is obviously not life with him. Yeah. But then removing us from the garden from sin or because of sin and result of sin is also saving us because you die in the presence of the holiness of God. Right. Of course, mm. if you're not proper with him. Right. Yeah. right. And then the whole, of course, like you're saying, the gospel narrative is how do we become holy to therefore be with God once again? Mm-hmm. Um, I found that interesting hmm. thinking about this, that God is judgment and salvation have an odd tie, I guess. And there, there's a weird lapse there that they're, they're constantly together and God is actually constantly just saving us from ourselves. Hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think? Like, uh, you know, because this is the question that always comes up for Adam and Eve. It's like, who were they and how much does it matter who they were? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause that's the discussion usually is like, well, if they weren't literal, if they weren't real people, then our whole faith is gone. Or if they weren't little and they weren't real, then Adam and I mean, Jesus and Paul were both wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we can't trust anything. What do you guys think of that in light of what John Walton says? Cause that's where my mind always goes with this. It's like, how much does that really matter? And how much does it influence the way we look at scripture and all that kind of stuff? So like who were Adam and Eve right. and does it matter? I think what we can know, well, I guess the question is, was there an actual person who experienced what is described in Genesis 2? Right. Was there a single human? I think that's the question. Hmm. And, And then is the problem, okay, what if it was two humans or what if multiple humans had that experience or you know one person did this thing and another person did this thing of the story mm-hmm. does that change anything right because walton and like i think it needs to or does it need to have <laughs> actually happened i mean and I think, well, yeah, and I think he would go to the extent of like, yes, this is a thing that happened, right? But how it exactly happened, right? Versus how the interpretation of the, mm-hmm. the event says that it happened, like, that's the other thing is like, this isn't like historical account of, or at least this is what he's saying. It's not a historical account of like the events that transpired, right? It's a theological interpretation of some events mm-hmm. that probably transpired, right? Whoever wrote this wasn't there, yeah. Right. It's like most people say it was Moses. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so if he's writing this, it's like he wasn't there. He like had to obtain this information. Yeah. Um, and then be interpreting it and writing it a certain way for the people he was writing to. Right. Which was his Israelite people who 
needed a story who needed a narrative who needed something to go up against the rest of the ancient near eastern stuff so yeah yeah but that's yeah do you think uh, luke what about you like same kind of thing yeah i think i think it it there had to be been a person i think there was a person or a multitude of people that experienced the thing why not genesis 2 or 1 genesis 2 okay because and i mean i that's not a controversial thing to say like that's what walton's saying mm-hmm. and i agree with him mm-hmm. yeah i just say why not like that's what says now understanding how it was written and the type of writing and interpretation of yep. the story that broadens that circle could have been one person right, could have been right, two right, people right. could have happened over you know multiple time like a longer period of time right. yeah that's all fits with in you're reading your western presuppositions into the text so don't do that yeah um th- i think what that's what walton kind of gives a lot of margin to yeah. read this mm-hmm. to right. say it could have been that we don't know it probably was this which yeah. is different than that um right but like, the, but theologically like you're saying nate it, it was written for people of a time yeah. for a purpose and uh, like right most scholars are saying it's israel's just in the wilderness they got the tabernacle and they have now created the first scene since the garden of eden mm. a sacred space yeah to right. live in and yeah. how do we do that you know you get leviticus you get numbers you get there's all this stuff that you got to do to be holy before god but what is the result of it and that's you know i guess to at least understand that gives you a better approach to the text in general that it, it did serve a purpose it had a reason it's written to a people not to us but for us and so maybe just taking the theological implications from it right and not worrying so much about stuff you'll never know right is more important do you know what i mean like it's so easy to and i think people have battled this out and challenged each other on this forever in reality I'm not going to know more than you and you're not going to know more than me about what type of apple it was or well what. the the point is you can't ask the question I think because what you just said you know a text can never mean what it never meant right and mm-hmm. it was written to a people for a purpose mm-hmm. so to ask what type of apple is fundamentally wrong yeah to I see. To, to even ask that question yeah. right but then what do you do with Adam and Eve well that's, well, that's why it's the, the correct lens is so important. Right. I think we're trying to figure out what's the question mm-hmm. Yeah. before we can come up right. with an answer. What are the right questions to say? To well, was there a historical Adam? Yeah. Is that the right question before we even start to interpret this text to get that answer? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, it's the questions that you have to ask the questions they would have been asking. Right. Which is like, who are, who are we and who is God? Right why is the world the way that we experience it? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like just to be questions like that, that's what they'd be looking at. They wouldn't be looking at, I wonder who the first people were right? or whatever. It's like, they didn't really, I don't think they would have cared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would have been like, who, who are we? Who's God? And what's our relationship to him? Yeah. And why is it, why do we experience this way and all that kind well, of stuff? Why is it worth it? And, right. And yeah. It's like, this. I think you're right, Zach. It's like, you need to go in with the right questions 
because otherwise you're going to be trying to pull out answers that aren't, aren't there. Right. And Walton talks about that in this book. And I think he talks about it in the flood one too. It's the same thing where it's like, we're going into that with the, the wrong questions. Right. And you're going to get wrong answers because the answers don't actually exist, mm-hmm. which is a difficult thing to try to navigate right. and be okay <laughs> with too. Cause then it's like, Oh shoot, this isn't going to satisfy my questions. Cause maybe it was never meant to. Yeah. Nor does it matter. Yeah. It's like, maybe it doesn't matter how many people there were or like, you know, if there was thousands of people that existed before Genesis two. Right. Which is actually another interesting question is like, mm-hmm. I don't do you think, think that's possible? I don't think it doesn't not matter. I think it's just, y- yes, but it's we, less we significant. We get there. Right? It's, but it's like, less right. significant than right. we think. Yeah. I think is the issue. We got hung up on, again, the material origins thing. And it's like, but is that the right question? Right. Is that what God wants us to see in this? Yeah. Is that really what it is? What was your question about? Oh, uh, the other question is like, um, the thing that comes up is like, were there, if, if Genesis one and two are separated, um, is there room for there to be thousands of people already living on the earth by the time Genesis two happens or do Adam and Eve in Genesis two have to be the first two people. Here's the problem with me, not with the question. (laughs) My brain immediately goes, that's scientifically a better option. (laughs) The first thing I say. So I say, I like that better. Yeah. And that contradicts what I'm just saying about Mm -hmm. what's, so what, what makes you like that better? Because it's better for... It sounds plausible. Right. Then from... I mean, everyone can stem from two people. That's mm-hmm. fine. But for <laughs> God to make a multitude of people and then start humanity that way, right. scientifically better. Mm-hmm. Or uh, scientifically yep. easier to comprehend mm-hmm. or yes. to believe. Let me say it that way. Yeah. And I think it, to be honest, it smooths over some of those weird things that tend to happen after Adam and Eve, where it's like, so who did they marry? And right. how clean like, is or their the kids and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, so what would happen? And it's like, a lot of the interpretation is like, or the explanation for it, if you take it the literal way, is like, well, you know, it was cleaner back, like you know, the gene yeah. pool was pure and all that. It's like, yeah. well, it would have gotten impure pretty quick, like. But then also, like, what about, um, like, when, um, like, Cain goes out afterwards? Mm-hmm. It's like, who's he city, scared of? Right. And he goes to, yeah, he goes yeah. to, like, a city or whatever. It's like, where did all that just come from? Right. Because apparently there's no one else on the earth yet. So what just happened? Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, so maybe there's a little bit more here. And so in the, all of those okay. cases. No, I, I totally agree with you. Right. And with, with living so long, too, it, there's all sorts of stuff you can't completely understand like like how many kids are you having Mm. over how long what like what are your bodies looking like at a (laughs) hundred does he address he doesn't address the living he doesn't ages not in this book no no i wish he would have yeah proposition 24 right (laughs) interesting because that's a big thing yeah it is yeah i don't know but we do see well again you, you do see from sin, people start living shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter amounts. Yeah. Which maybe that it makes sense theologically. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, 
Sin cripples you. Right. Moses' face was glowing when he got a glimpse of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Adam and Eve got to walk and experience God in the cool of the day. Right. Well, this is more to way the we're supposed to be living. And as time mm-hmm. goes on, and you get... Right, like illuminating this spiritual reality that so often, especially being hung up on materialism and the material, not even the function, but then there's also a spiritual reality that we're not even, you know, a whole nother side of the the thing. But even just the functional side of it, it's like if you take his view that, Mm -hmm. you know, you've introduced disorder into all of creation Mm -hmm. and stuff, then it's like maybe that just makes things run worse. And yeah, so everything right. is just functionally chaotic. Right. And right. so everything's just decaying. Well, I think that's the, <laughs> yeah, that would dying. be. And the farther we get away from God, like the, the worst, we're not functioning at high capacity. Right. And what a glorifying thing to God. It's like, think of all these amazing things that people have done in our lifetime with their bodies. Climb, free climbed Yosemite, like yeah. I don't know, run so far, swam so far lifted this much weight it's like that's so crazy we're getting better as like there's not even yeah. a portion yeah. of what we could have been looking that when we had direct access to god mm. we lived you know 10 times as long yeah 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 crazy i can't even imagine living longer it's like we all look at like getting to 100 and we're like that's it it's over right it's like i don't even want to get there yeah, because we're so unhealthy. <laughs> Seriously. True. As I, don't I, I don't even know if I want to live past coffee. 40. <laughs> I think I'm good now. <laughs> yeah. This is my peak. Yeah. It's all downhill. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. that's great. One other thought just before we move on is uh, he talks about a literal or like a 24-hour day. Mm-hmm. Um, and one point he makes is... Uh, when Adam is giving order to naming animals, he brings that in. Well, that all happens on a, a, certain, day. a day. So I don't know if that was his point, but that's what kind of stood out. No, I think that is his point. It's like you couldn't have done that in right 24 hours or whatever. To just name all the animals. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that that's another question. It's the, like I learned that in Bible college, like the literal is it a literal day or a figurative day? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, day can mean different things. Right. Mm. I don't have much to say on that, to be honest. <laughs> Besides, I know I know the debate comes from the word yom. Right. Yeah. And um, it's such a large debate. Yeah. Again, perhaps we're missing the point. Yeah. Right. By discussing that over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. Um. Like, I'm not going to be able to come to a complete conclusion until I ask God himself. I just, I don't know where to go with it. Ultimately, um, where my mind goes is why, why do you care so much? What, what does that change for you if it is a day? Um, And what I've noticed is a big thing is people try to justify creation in all sorts of different ways. Just, um you know, by coming up with more plausible, like you're saying, and we all do this, I think, just what's more plausible, what makes it easier to accept? Mm -hmm. And I think it's John Stott, but I don't want to completely nail his name down with it. But for sure, someone said, um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) 
gosh. Someone said it. It's okay. But it's like, if you have enough faith to believe in the resurrection, mm-hmm. then it's irrelevant. Yeah. Really. You know, like you, right. you believe God did this. Yeah. And that's great. Right. How, how that looks exactly. I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he did it all, but he did. And that's incredible. And we get to live in that now. So good enough for me. I'm also not, I don't need to fixate on those kind of details. Right. It doesn't matter for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the nice thing, <laughs> nice thing about the way that Walton puts it of like science and the Bible don't have to, um, be talking about the same thing. Yes. They like, we have to believe that they're always going to agree because mm-hmm. God wrote both, like both books. We always, they talk about them that way. Um, so it's like, they're always going to agree and they can't contradict one another. Um, so maybe the contradictions that we do tend to see is because we're reading the stuff wrong. And that's kind of his point is like, maybe we've just read it wrong and that's created this tension between what science is currently saying and what the Bible is currently saying or is always saying, um, maybe we just, we cause the tension because we're looking for the wrong answers again with the wrong questions. Do you think we're reading science wrong right now at all? That's a valid question. Uh, I can't really speak to that. Yeah, I mean, we're like, not that's scientists. The, but that's what a lot of people would say, though, is if you're <laughs> seven-day or six-day creationist, yeah. it's like, well, it's like, well, science is wrong. It has to be. Even in regards to the flood or creation or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like science mm-hmm. just has to be wrong. Right. Because it's wrong. It's like, well... I don't know. Like, I feel like they kind of know what they're doing. It's right. like, no, carbon dating is all false. It's like, I feel like we can't throw it out that fast. Yeah. I, I, I have heard that from, like, I took archaeology at UFV, and the, the prof said that right off the bat. I think it was class one. She's like, just so you know, carbon dating is a fraud. Who? She was she was a total atheist, too, but had been doing it her whole life. Really? Um. Yeah, her professional career. Fascinating. So, but whatever. That's one person. Again, you're going to get... Right. Yeah everyone saying something well i it it could be wrong like i don't know well part of me uh, are we reading science wrong we have evidence from science we have evidence from the bible i feel like the question we have was the conclusion of it so science whatever maybe the word's still out the bible it's there like the bible's not changing Mm -hmm. ever so we'll just continue to try to interpret what's saying better mm-hmm. science we could have new discoveries but it's the interpretation of these two things that yeah. affect us right so when we say the interpretation of the bible and that's i think that's ultimately walton's point he's like you're interpreting things it's not trying to say yeah you're interpreting this is the physical uh creation scientific story wrong question mm-hmm. here's what you can get from it who are you? Who is God? What is the purpose? Right. So right. when we look at science, can we say, um, okay, we're evolutionaries. Let's say we're evolution. Science says that. Okay. So my question, are we reading science wrong? Do you think that to draw a conclusion out of that is that we're all um, supposed to fend for ourselves and kill other people? Oh, I see. And because that's, but I don't think anyone says that because this Mm -hmm. is true. And that's why, that's why you don't say that. Mm -hmm. 
what you're you're drawing the wrong conclusions from your evidence because yeah right but maybe i'm also trying to bat them against each other to be right yeah it's like actually let's understand we work together yeah yeah anyways well and if you can learn anything from history it's like what every every generation looks at the previous generation and it's like wow we have learned so much (laughs) about science and we were so dumb 10 years ago right right and then it's but like look forward 10 years we're going to be saying the same thing until we die and then our kids will say over and over and over and over forever it's like when are we just led to realize there's something or someone god out there that does know and he might not tell us exactly but he does know and he did make it like are we just ever led there like we're naive we don't know and that's good right like you need god it's a great place to end up but that's not what our like that's not what we've been taught though no like that's not what's ingrained in the culture the culture is like you need to know everything Mm -hmm. and i think that's even why we get so hung up on genesis because it's like well we have to figure this out from a material empirical aspect Right. In a way that makes sense to us. In the way that I can reconcile all of science with all of the Bible and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but in the way that I want it to. But it's like maybe it was never meant to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Another big thing that's talked about is divine rest. That's something that um that creation is made to be rested in is something that Walton actually says. Mm -hmm. I think this is a, a lot um, there's a lot to talk about and a lot of application too that we can understand even just talking about Sabbath and that's mm-hmm. a very practical mm. thing understanding that so um, I don't know do you guys have any thoughts off the top about rest I think it was significant that uh, Walton's like the idea that we always think of creation as happening in, happening in six days but he's like it's seven you can't mm-hmm. leave off the seventh day that was the culmination of creation mm. it you can't be like oh god created in six days and then he rested it's like mm-hmm. yes but so then creation took place over seven days not six mm-hmm. uh, and just that point i was like oh yeah like, like resting I always in it that. is an active term like, yes like just as active yes. as creation yeah. resting is an active piece mm-hmm. that that god's obviously exemplifying if we're supposed to be his images yeah. What does that look like? How are we resting properly in creation? Yeah. And what did it mean for God to really rest? Like, what does that idea mean? Because if you pull in this whole temple imagery mm-hmm. of like God's building a temple and a, a dwelling place, a sacred space, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look to Genesis one where it says like uh, the spirit of God, like hovered right. and meaning there was no resting spot. Mm-hmm. It couldn't rest or his spirit like couldn't rest. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the seventh day and it says God rested mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, because he created a home for, and a place for him to dwell and rest. Right. Because there wasn't one. I've heard that whole thing kind of yeah. come together yeah, before, yeah. too, which is fascinating. Yeah. And Walton talks about rest as, as not being um, a state of fatigue or laziness or he gives a couple other words like mm-hmm. it's not this idea of oh, I need to relax or watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's this different idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important when you look about that idea, what you're saying, Nate, about the Holy Spirit residing, yeah. content, 
to be in presence of something that is good and orderly. Mm. Okay, that's an idea of rest. That gives a better picture of resting. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when you look at God. It's like, why did God need rest? Was he tired? It's like, no. No. <laughs> why do we need rest? Are we tired? Yeah. It's like, sometimes, yeah, because we're not perfect. But also, yeah. you could have a very relaxing week mm-hmm. and still Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it's it's always like an interesting thing when we look at the fact that God rested. It's like, yeah, like why did He rest? What does that mean? Because it's like He's God. Why did He need to rest? Yeah. But I always like that aspect of it where it's like God did work for six days and then He rested, meaning He just. Uh, there's one person who talks about it basically that like, you know, uh, God created. He worked for six days and then on that last day he just enjoyed it. Right. He just sat in his creation and just mm-hmm. gloried in everything that he had just done mm-hmm. and just enjoyed what he had made. Um, and said it was because he said like at the end it's very good. Yeah. He's like yeah. this is a good thing I've done. Yeah. <laughs> it's complete. But he actually became part of it and like came into it and was like just enjoy it um is an interesting idea yeah and i find it interesting we quickly and and easily can understand obviously the result of sin in our lives Hmm. and what that did to humanity but like it's kind of a different place to go even to think like what did that do to god's rest Hmm. yeah right and how how has he been at unrest because of that yep um, yeah, not much. I don't have much more to say about that, but it's just, he made us and we are part of that sacred space in his union and, and part of him resting properly. Right. And so us being out of that and, and disunified and out of order would have had an effect on his rest. Right. Yeah. There's also, um, there's also someone else like tying into the humanity piece. So it's like, okay, so where do we fit into that idea of resting and stuff? I was listening to someone the other day that was pointing out the fact that if uh, humans or humanity was created on day six, mm-hmm. essentially the first thing they experienced was rest in the garden with God because the next day was Sabbath. Yeah. Okay. And it's like, what paradigm does that set up for human existence mm-hmm. and the relationship with God that the first day that they really experienced with him was a day of rest mm. with that God. Um which they pointed to other ancient Near Eastern documents where humanity was created to be slaves. Hmm. Was to be just the people that did the work for the mm-hmm. gods so that the gods didn't have to do it anymore. That's literally the like the ancient Near Eastern narratives. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have this one where it's like God creates and then he rests. Right. And it's like, oh, so humanity wasn't there to serve God right. in that way that everyone else says it's like yeah yeah there's something more well he's created for enjoyment yeah yeah be a conclusion it's like oh and and how different for for the israelites again this is written to coming out of slavery themselves yeah now they just get to have a god that wants to enjoy them right yeah and dwell with them and to retrain their minds right right and even just say like god is for you you Mm -hmm. don't have to sacrifice and convince the sun god to help your crops right right just so you can get enough to eat yeah no god is for you yeah which i like this because we we reach the same conclusions what do we sing on sunday it's like you know there's 
tons of song like that's the message we preach god is for you like yeah. he's loved you he wants mm-hmm. you he's like wants he loves you right mm-hmm. um so it's it's cool to reach those conclusions in this way mm-hmm. yeah and then you even have um like the command for sabbath later on uh in exodus 20 is actually points back to creation mm-hmm. and says the reason that we all are supposed to rest from all of our work is because that was the go- the the pattern god set up in creation mm. um and kind of what you're saying zach is like god is the one that makes everything happen um and makes it all work and produces our crops and whatever and provides for us and the sabbath day is the day where we actually just remember that we're finite human beings yeah right? yeah, yeah, yeah and we sit back and we go god's in control yeah. yeah. So I can not do work today because God's provide. still going to take care of me. Absolutely. I'm not sovereign. I'm not that important, but God is. Right. And so I just sit in the rest that he actually made for me so that I can actually just rest well. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And then it changes the, the second command because there's two commands for Sabbath in the Old Testament. Exodus is one of them. Um, and then there's another one. I don't remember where it is. Uh, I think Deuteronomy. It's, it's, they do it again, but it changes the purpose. And it says like now, um, based on like your freedom from slavery, essentially. Hmm. And it gets put a different way now. Right. It's yeah, it's cool. But yeah. Awesome. It's hard to talk. Well, it's not, my mind always just like jumps when you kind of get outside of this realm (laughs) and you start having these thoughts, then it's easy to jump. What about this? What about this? I was like, yeah just thinking like this is a crazy thought maybe we'll edit it out but (laughs) like when you're talking about like okay his spirit dwelt and then it rested it's god chose to do something in this space in this cosmos created order with it and so and then he enjoyed it's like well was he somewhere before where he left to? Mm-hmm. And then I just like jump crazy thoughts from there. Right. How many other earths exist that exactly. just went to crab? Well, not earth, <laughs> but dimensions. Right. right. Oh, Zach, that's silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sort of like C.S. Lewis. He, yeah, he, right. he positions it that way too in The Magician's Nephew. Mm. All these different pools, right? Jump into a different world. Right. Hmm. I, I don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> There's nothing you can say because, again, I don't think it matters. Right. No, but it's interesting to think about. Like, it, and it, f- it is weird. Like, thought. was God then, like, he was perfect in his trinity. We yeah. know that. Right. So he wasn't not at rest, but wasn't perfectly at rest? I don't know. Like, you know. I wasn't, I don't think he wasn't perfectly at rest. He just chose to have more. Uh, well, he didn't choose to have rest because, but in, he created a space mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he created the space. Here's the thing. He like you saying he created a space that he could dwell in and then he had to do more to that space so that he could rest in mm-hmm. Th- that could all happen. Like, God's like, I'm going to create space and I'm going to create it perfect. Like 
all of this could happen in yeah a mm-hmm. split second yeah yeah, yeah 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 because why doesn't we we need three chapters of genesis to help us understand the magnitude of god's decision yeah right he did it and it was done and mm-hmm. it was like don't you see what i did just yeah. like mm-hmm. oh no we need a second can you give us a second god yeah you guys are dumb like here, <laughs> mm-hmm. let me help you let me mm-hmm. give you more yeah. metaphors and yeah. and and i will walk through this process with you so that you can understand what i'm doing here yeah i'm not saying any of that is theologically or scientifically true i'm just yeah 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 because yeah, i think that's the point about the whole idea of rest though is that it's not it's not a a ceasing from doing anything and rest in the way that we think of like Oh, I get to lay down on the couch and rest. Right. It's like, it's not the same kind of rest. So like to say that God didn't experience rest or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it's like, yeah, he was, he's just, uh, restful. Like, you, you know, you always think of God being kind of content and peaceful. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not anxious and running around all over the place. Right. And rest is fulfillment too. It's not just a physical yeah. lay down take it easy like you're i'm any human would say i'm most at rest when i'm actually probably doing the most but in my best things you know Mm -hmm, when i'm functioning properly yeah for who i am well and that's why i think walton even points to uh is it matthew 11 that's the easy yoke um yeah that's the idea of this kind of rest where it's like Mm -hmm. you're functioning like jesus Jesus says, you know, take my yoke upon you. So take off the yoke you've been carrying. That's super heavy and it's a burden. Mm-hmm. Right. Not so that you can be free from any yoke or burden. Right. But so that you can put mine on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can actually come under the right way Same. of living. That's great. And so you'll live with me and it'll still be work. You still have to walk and do things and strive, uh, but not in the same way. And it'll be light. Like my burden is light or whatever. Right. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so different because you're living within the proper order of things yeah. and not pushing against the order of things mm-hmm. um which is what i think is so important right yeah one one last thought on this because this is uh something i find fascinating when we look at the idea of rest so god created sacred space um but the thing that i've heard lots of people talk about and it always sticks out is the idea that he created sacred space in six days and then he created sacred time on the last day mm. uh because it says that because the only day um like on the seventh day so this is the beginning of genesis 2 the end of the story it says so god blessed the seventh day and made it holy he doesn't do that for any other day it's the seventh day is actually blessed and he makes time holy uh which then becomes the paradigm for sabbath right and so then what does that say about our sabbath and the day of rest and what it's supposed to be like it's a holy day for a reason right because God blessed it and he made it holy. Um, but he didn't do that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It That's what plays so big into um, theology of Sabbath and all that kind of stuff. Right. Sacred was... time. Do you guys Sabbath? Yep. Good. Every Monday. Good for you. I always find... Um... <laughs> I'm just going to get a little side note because that pastors and theologians never explain what they actually do during the <laughs> sabbath yeah 
I feel like they talk about this is what I like. Like, this is my day. This is my mm-hmm. mindset. This is what I like to do. It's like, well, yeah, but give me the 12 hours of yeah. your day. What did it look like <laughs> last Sabbath? Yeah. And I feel like people don't usually do that. Right. Because, I mean, one, because it could seem silly to other people, you know, or. Yeah. And my other thought is lots of people aren't that good at it. Totally. Sabbath is really hard. Yeah. It is really, really hard. Um, just from my experience of trying to do it for the last mm, seven months or so. It's what, like, what do you constitute a Sabbath then? No work, obviously. So, so you're saying no making money? no reading something that otherwise would be you know like we're in a yeah verse, we're doing school is that then work how do you how do you define it i think it's different for different people um but you can get some people talk about like best practices so here's some things you can do or whatever that would be good but yeah i think you take some of the principles of sabbath that jewish theology and practice has brought into it mm-hmm but not to the same extent. But I think it comes down to like, what is actually restful for you? Hmm. Because like, and what's life giving, mm-hmm. uh, what's adding value and what's going against um, the parts of you that wants to like produce stuff and accomplish things and get stuff done off your to-do list. Like there's a, that yeah, aspect yeah. of it is like, yeah. you do need to be kind of resting and actually using that as a day to trust God more. And so then what does that look like? For you? Right. But the idea of work, it's like I can work hard and do something I enjoy and that's okay. Right. Like I'll refinish a table on the Sabbath because that is actually really life giving for yeah. me. Yeah. I get to create something and it's right. kind of fun and like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like our Sabbath, like I don't do school reading because it's, I'm, it's pushing against my need to be productive and to get things done, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Check off stuff. Um, I don't do work. We don't run errands. Uh, we don't buy stuff other than food. Um, so yeah, we don't go shopping or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And it's a day where we slow down. Usually try to disconnect as much as possible from phones and yeah. emails and TV and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just try to make it a day where we're present um, in whatever it is that we are doing. Because we're so distracted. And we're so busy. So that's some of what influences what I do. <laughs> but Interesting. Have you guys ever practiced Sabbath? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it is true. Like It's just understanding what is rest for you. What does that look like? Rejuvenating your spirit, yeah, your soul, your body, everything for the coming week. Yeah. Resetting your sights and all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would be very similar to what you said. Yeah. So. That, and then actual and then actual practices vary a lot between people. It's like I was listening to something the other day. Oh, um, Ruth Haley Barton writes a whole bunch on spiritual practices and things like that. And she writes a book on Sabbath. And she was just on Carrie Newhoff's podcast talking about rest and how much basically we suck at resting. And it was a fascinating, great podcast. I'd suggest listening to it. Um, but she was like quoting someone. I don't remember who it was. It's like Eugene Peterson or somebody like that that was like their practice for Sabbath was like, they just, they always went for a hike with their wife Mm -hmm. and they'd always just go on this hike. They wouldn't, they just kind of do half of it in silence. Mostly just let themselves kind of process and detox. Mm -hmm. And then they just kind of start, they just talk as they hiked and hung out and whatever. And it's like, that was what they did every Sabbath. 
Yeah. Um, and it just varies from person to person. Yeah. But there's lots of things that we, like the Sabbath is very countercultural, I think. Right. Like for me, it pushes against so much stuff where it's like, oh man, I just, like I get anxiety on the Sabbath. Really? Yeah. It's like, hard for you. Well, cause, well, cause like if you really practice it well, I think you will be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's cause it's hard to sit down and go, I don't need to produce anything today. Hmm. Like I don't, I, I don't need to, to do anything. To do anything. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to work. I don't have to get stuff done. I got six other days to do that. So I'm just going to be yeah. for a day. And that's a challenging practice. Hmm. It's like silence and solitude. Yeah. Right. Where it's like you try silence and solitude and you're like, mm-hmm. like you're sitting there like twirling your thumbs going, okay, I got to do something. What do I do next? And you don't really want to sit and be with yourself and be with God in that way. And it's like Sabbath is like a whole day of that essentially. Zach, what's been your experience with Sabbath? Like, have you tried it? Thought it sucked? Yeah. I mean, or, I, yeah. I mean, I've always tried to practice some sort of Sabbath, some sort of restful time since I became a Christian and learned about it. Um, last year I studied more about it and that's one thing I found. Hmm. Um, which maybe it like pushed up against me because I found it like maybe hypocritical where I like studied the idea of Sabbath and then I was like, yeah, but what do you actually do? Mm-hmm. Especially with social media now, it's like, is like, I've seen you post for six days or for seven days, which one was your Sabbath? Right. Cause like I saw you doing this or this or this or this. And, and yeah. so, and that's not all bad. It's like you were, yeah went to the park with your kids like is, is that your sabbath right is like okay well Leah, it's like me and my wife went to the movies last night is that a sabbath and and maybe it is because it's part of the the mindset and it's like are you coming towards god are you mm-hmm. prayerfully saying like this is the time i'm gonna rest is it you have to have a mindset why are you doing it mm-hmm. and it uh, for sure incorporates those things right but I think, yeah, I have struggled with, like, I like to know, like, show me a good example of it. Right. I see. And it's yeah. like, what if I, like, and it, I don't think the rule's like, oh, you can't make money. It's like, well, I did this thing. It was great. I made money. It felt good. And, like, that was super awesome for me. It, was, it wasn't maybe my main job. It was, like, a side job that... Yeah like oh i went i did podcasting yeah that's gonna generate revenue one day like yeah i just i think and at the end of the day it's like i don't know i want to say at the end of the day it's like whatever works for you but i don't think that but i think you have to go farther because you have to do things where you're like this might like um john mark comer at bridgetown if you want an example and to like learn about like someone who's really doing this, like uh, read his book garden city or listen to his podcast series. They did seven weeks on Sabbath yeah. at, John, at Bridgetown and it was great. Like I, I love that series, but he practices it every week with his whole family right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with his kids and stuff. And like, he's got it down and whatever. And I'm sure it's not perfect. He'll, he'll say that. Right. Um, but I think you have to go farther than just, well, this is a life giving activity for me. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I know people yeah. where work, they'll work 80 hours a week because they'll say it's life-giving for right. them. 
doesn't work. Yeah. You can't do that on the Sabbath. Like there's a point to it is that you're not producing. Like you're not, um, you're not earning more money that day. Like you're just sitting back and going, this is a day. Like it's, it's a whole Sabbath principle from the old Testament where it's like when they were given manna in the uh, wilderness, they were given double on the, sa- on the day right, before right, Sabbath right. because they weren't allowed to go get more. The whole point is God mm-hmm, provides mm-hmm. everything you need all of the time. Yeah. And Sabbath is a day to remember that yeah. and to just sit back and go, I have enough. Right. If you take it to the point of enjoyment, um, God sits back on the seventh day and goes, this is all so good. I love what I've just done. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, John Mark says, you sit back on the seventh day to enjoy the works that you've done on the other six days. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say too. It's, it's more a call for the other six days. Yeah. It's, it makes you what, work what harder. Is, what is your life? filled with so that you can enjoy it without yeah you know just just actually enjoying what you yeah. built and it's about not getting more too it's like on the sabbath i sit back and i go i don't need more money i don't need more stuff i don't need more clothes the thing i need more of is time and the sabbath is a day yeah like where you're focusing on just being present in time right and so that's a huge gift Sweet. So, I don't know. Start yeah, practicing great. Sabbath, Zach. Come on, man. Are you even Christian? No. Yeah. Not. We know. Um, <laughs> I think the last thing we can talk about is um, in the final propositions, there's um, some ideas about death um, because of disorder, not because of genetics. Mm-hmm. And we touched about death a little bit. And then also, um, like, the world around the, the tree of life. And yeah. the tree of knowledge so these ideas mm. um so maybe we can finish our discussion just kind of talking about these parts of the book maybe we start with death and what that is any initial thoughts yeah it's difficult to think of perfection so so perfection before sin um in light of death because if, if death is a result of disorder or a result of sin, then the idea of no death on physical earth at all is hard to comprehend in a sense. You know, because there's so much, all, all we understand is life in a, in a, a cycle. Everything we know, everything from flowers mm. to animals. And there's beauty that we see in death, you know. Things die, but then new life comes out of death constantly. And we only know mm. beauty and perfection through that lens. Um, with that in mind, it's really hard for me to comprehend a perfection without death, if that's really what it is. Or if death is a spiritual and physical tie for humanity alone. Right. You know? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where to go with it exactly. It's so that, that it becomes so philosophical so quickly in my mind. That's where I go. Um, but, but we do know that death is sin and sin is death. And that's result of each of, of the fall. So obviously death was brought into existence in that moment. But what kind of death? Right. And that's, I think that's the bigger question. Right. And that's where the trees come into it because if the tree of life is in the garden and that's with God and God is life abundantly, then being separated from God is being like, like just 
separation from God is hell, right? Mm-hmm. Like hell is void of God. And so just being apart from God is death in itself, not necessarily physical death, but death is being away from God. Right. Because we're made from him for him. Yeah. But, well, if he is life, then right. apart him is death. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, you kind of have to look at that idea of like, was there perfection before? Did death exist? And that's what I mean by like, okay, so what kind of death came into existence? Mm-hmm. Was it more spiritual, mm-hmm. eternal death because of that distance and separation from God? Um, and perhaps there was other kinds of death and decay and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you bring up an interesting point, Luke, like the idea of like the beauty in death of like the cycles and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think I'd agree. Um but then it's also like, okay, so maybe it's that we find that beautiful, but how much more beautiful would it be if it was the way God really wanted it to be? Mm-hmm. Like I always think, I, like I think mm-hmm. of that too, where it's like, oh, I wonder what it's supposed to be like. If we think that. Like perpetual birth. <laughs> yeah. Right? Perpetual blooming flowers, perpet- yeah. whatever that. Yeah. You, you can't get your mind around it. No. I, I, I do tend to lean towards thinking death is much more spiritual. Mm. And in that sense, it's our, again, it's not material, it's purpose. So baptism is a great example that when you are baptized, you are reborn. Yeah. Because now you know your purpose, you know who you're made for and what you're made from and to and all of this stuff. And in that mindset, then there's so many people walking around dead. Right. Yeah. In our world today because yeah. they don't know their purpose. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just read a quote here from uh, this chapter. It's This is the last, at the end of the chapter, it says, those who believe that they, that there was no death or suffering before the fall have associated those consequences with disorder rather than with non-order. It is easy hmm. to see how that association might be made, but if the evidence fails to bear out, we can conclude that the association with non-order is defensible from a biblical and theological perspective and in, enjoys more support from history, biology, and anthropology. Hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, just looking at that when he talks about death and order, you know, that kind of goes a little bit to what you're saying, Luke, of understanding the purpose of things and how things are supposed to be made. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know about flowers and what the perfect <laughs> right, like, no, no, solution no. is, yeah. but, um, yeah, I mean, I just had that quote and it was, it's just a, something to ponder on, right? It's yeah. a different perspective. Yeah. And I think like, there's so many aspects to it, but I think um, one of the things he talks about, and this is where you get into the kind of the fall and what really occurred there, is that if there was a uh, non-order, right. meaning there was a little bit of still chaos, death, the things we see as negative in the world that existed, and then Genesis 2 happens and God grabs two people and puts them in the garden. He says, mm-hmm. here's this thing, here's the new opportunity and here's new life. Um, it's not that everything was perfect and then they messed it up it was everything was good but there was still non-order right god brought in an opportunity Mm -hmm. to 
correct and bring further order and brings like real life and salvation essentially through garden and through tree and whatever. Um, But then Adam and Eve failed to with, to take hold of that. Mm -hmm. And so the sin wasn't necessarily like uh, it's not that God put a test in front of them. It's he put an opportunity in front Mm -hmm. of them and they failed to grab hold of the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so then God had to go and make it all happen through his plan and all that kind of stuff, which is a different, it kind of turns the whole thing on its head a little Mm -hmm. because it's not that everything was perfect and Adam and Eve screwed it up. It was, everything was good, good, whatever that means. And then Adam and Eve had an opportunity to make it better and they just, they didn't do it. And he kind of goes, he says that instead of like God tested them and it was this divine test and they failed to pass the test. It's like, well, that's kind of a weird idea. Like, why would God do that? And so he provides this oper- or this uh, explanation instead, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, very. It fits with the rest of what he's saying. But yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know about that. All right. Well. Um, <laughs> what about the trees? Should yeah. We touch on that yeah. quick. Well, just John, I, I found it interesting. His His thing that he points to is that the two trees, the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life is just a result of being with God. Not necessarily, Mm. you know, like it's more conceptual. It's like you get life from being with God. You get knowledge again, growing. You're good now, but you'll be growing and stuff out of result of being with God. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Because the only place where I find that a little odd is the end of this, this, uh, chapters in genesis where god has to kick them out of the garden and then he says the reason so that they don't eat of the tree of life hmm. right so like i don't know i i got a little bit lost and if that makes any sense yeah i guess like thinking from a literal point how would you um convey a heart attitude because that's what Adam and Eve had was it was we want to be like God we want to be better like God mm-hmm. or we want to know what God has mm-hmm. why is he keeping something from us that's that's the, the sin or the hard attitude that caused the sin yeah so I'm just thinking if like people are around they know God exists and they're like, you know what? We're going to start living a different way slowly over time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, it's just a, a metaphor or a, a way to symbolize or a way to, mm-hmm. I'm just processing it loud. If that would be the other extreme, right? So hmm. could, I don't know. Was there an actual tree? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the idea that, uh, you know, if they were perfect and there was no death, why did they need a tree of life? Like, right. why would there need to be one yeah. if they were good already? Like, right. if, if everything was fine. And I wonder if there's something in there, again, just thinking that through of, you know, they weren't perfect because they still needed God mm-hmm. to sustain them. Um, and I think that's a 
there's got to be something in there with that where it's like sure however Mm -hmm. good and whatever if you want to use perfect they were it's like yes but they still needed god Mm -hmm. like they were still imperfect enough that god had to be the one that sustains them and so i think there's something intertwined there with this tree of life idea right to even be good you need god yeah even to to be anything it's like they weren't perfect (laughs) because it's like he he put them outside the garden and said you know we don't want i don't want you to eat from the tree of life now too because it's like well then you'd be this kind of all-sufficient kind of thing where yeah or or you would have life forever in a state of sin i don't i just don't don't know know. exactly i'm not sure what the implications of of it are but i find it interesting yeah Yeah. definitely Hmm. all right well any final thoughts about this book has it what has it changed in your perspective or what has it um yeah had any effect on you i think it's given me like it almost does give you a a greater appreciation for the theological aspects of genesis Mm -hmm. as a whole but even just genesis 1 2 and 3 of like there's there's a lot of weight to what it's saying theologically Mm -hmm. and so i think i've got an even greater appreciation for that um also maybe an openness to what it really is saying and what the main thing it's trying to convey actually is um, but ultimately it just brings up more questions than anything else, which is probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I always find it hard when I read books of people way smarter than me. Cause I read that <laughs> and I'm like, Oh shoot. I guess that's what I believe now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I have yeah. no way to like, I can't counter. fact check him. Right. No. <laughs> shoot. So you just give me books. It's like, Oh, sh- I read another book. I guess that's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll pass you Ken Ham's book next. Yeah. He's going to flip spectrums all right um but i think the biggest thing for me is what i said at the beginning is perspective of just understanding uh what are you reading Mm -hmm. um what is it actually trying to convey before you start analyzing and critiquing it for some different things Mm -hmm. and especially in the old testament and specifically in genesis there's a lot of perspective shifts that like there's a lot of lenses that I need to change or take off before I can read those books Mm -hmm. and really assess them properly. And ultimately I think it just convicts me to read slower or process Mm -hmm. slower. of just saying, okay, this is my first thoughts, but let me just sit on that for a while. Let me read some other things. Let me talk to some people before solidifying that in my mm-hmm. heart as truth yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah hmm. luke how about you man yeah i i really enjoyed it i love uh just getting some insight into someone that's spent way more time than i have mm-hmm. in something like this ultimately i guess just coming closer to like like we've just talked about you just come closer to an an understanding of god of God, what he wants from us, who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's cliche to say, but it's really powerful. If yeah. you actually walk into that, you know, whatever happened in the garden of Eden doesn't really matter in comparison to who we are in God and, and what he's doing in us now and continuing to do. I, I don't know. I just love that. I think John Walton is incredible and did a really good job with this book. So, I'd recommend it to anyone. Awesome. Yep.
Well, that's it. Well, thanks for having us, Zach. You know, I'll just, uh, yeah, just thanks for uh, hosting for the coffee and. Um... <laughs> Didn't give me coffee. Where do you get coffee? <laughs> what are you drinking? <laughs> All right. Bye. This has been an Extend Network production.